Welcome to the Jeffers Brief, only on Contra Radio Network. Hello again, Intelligentsia. John Jeffers here on the Jeffers Brief. Yes, you are. You are being conned on a level unprecedented in human history. Do you believe it? If so, why, you know, why? Your government would do nothing to hurt you, right? Well, there's a reason that the Second Amendment is where it is in the Bill of Rights. It's there so that people have a last resort should the government fail to live up to its constitutional duties and it makes sure that all the other amendments stay right where they are, especially the first 10. Got an announcement for you. Contra Radio Network is going to be minting non-fungible tokens, NFTs. I know you've, you've probably heard about it, you just don't know what they are. I'm here to help you with that. Go to OpenSea.io. OpenSea.io. You've heard about NFTs. You've wondered what is going on with this? How does this work? It explains it to you, which is good. We're going to be minting our own tokens. Not as, yes, it's a cryptocurrency, but, but, it's NFT art. We've commissioned um, some graphic artists to create a series of prepper, prepping, uh, prepper paintings, that kind of thing. Patriot kind of paintings, drawings, if you will. Uh, the first series, which will be out very shortly, and we'll be, we'll be posting links to the site you can purchase these some of these are going to be rare in terms of for example our first series will have a female prepper the second series will be a female prepper the third series we're going to have about five female preppers and we're going to have about three or four men preppers and then another series with those characters in dystopian type situations if you're not sure what dystopian means it means post-apocalyptic so what does this mean what it means is you may go and purchase these there will be rarities some of them they'll be up for bid uh, I, I suspect sometime in the next seven days we'll have it out. So that's what you know. Myself and Dave Kirshner are working on. Don Lowry, on the other hand, is working on making Flintstone jewelry. You're saying, John, what what do you mean? What I mean is, Don goes into the desert. He finds uh, rocks and gems and 
polishes them up and he sells them. Don's kind of burned out for a while, so we're giving Don a break. But that's okay. We've all been there. If you have not done a podcast, you really got to try it. All right. There'll come a point you'll say, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do it. Most podcasts don't last three months, 90 days, and they're done. They just, ah, it's too much work. Don't want to do it. Here on CRN, I've been doing the Jeffers Brief and CRN since uh, 2014, about a couple months after I retired from the sheriff's office. So we've been going for a while. If you are a proprietor and you are listening to this, by all means, we need sponsors. Love to have it. And we're not going to break the bank with you. No, no, no. I am the voice of reason. So, which brings me to the uh, NFT tokens again. Kind of excited about it. I am. I am. But one of the things that Don and I were talking about when we were discussing the series, because he and I are splitting the cost for the graphic artist and everything else that's going into this. And that is, there's going, we're going to have not just, God, I hate, I hate to go here, but I think, I think I need to. We're going to have preppers from different cultures and races and ethnicities, which got me to thinking this. Let me ask you this. You are a prepper. You're in your area, your BOL, your area of operations, and you come across or someone of a different ethnic uh, culture comes into your area of control. Whether it be the front gate of your BOL or you run across them, they're a different nationality, different ethnic, different culture. Now, I have not heard preppers and I've, I don't, I don't, I'm just to play the odds. I'm guessing there are some out there that have some racial prejudice when it comes to dealing with other people of different color. Now, it's not to say racism is inherent everywhere on this planet. It just is. It uh, as much as the mainstream media and the left want you to believe that it only exists here in the United States, it just ain't so. It just isn't so. So, let's say, just for the sake of the scenario, you're out in the prepper group, you're white, and you come across a black family, African-American, black American family. And they're in bad shape. It looks like, you know, they've been run down. They're mentally exhausted physically. They're, they're, they're a wreck. Now, my question is this. What would you do? Would you kick them on down the road, say, no, keep going? Would you interview them? As I discussed a couple episodes ago. If your interview turns out that these people are exactly who they say they are, their circumstances are exactly what they say they are. You decide to roll the dice. Got to roll the seven or eleven. 
do you let these people into your area of operation, into your BOL? Do you incorporate them into your prepping group? Now, the obvious answer, let's say, for example, one of them's a doctor has, or a dentist has medical training. Most preppers and proper groups are going to say, yeah, bring them in. But what if they don't? What if the father is, you know, just average working Joe, he works the factory? Or, or you know, he does, he's a blue-collar worker. What if mom is just a stay-at-home mom, they got a couple kids with them? Do you take them in? Do you incorporate them into your prepper group? Or do you take them in temporarily to get them well and then kick them on down the road? My guess is this. Most people have a talent. Not all. But that doesn't mean they can't be taught. If they're willing to learn, if you're willing to take them in and teach them things, they can become valuable assets. I'm putting it out there. These are things people don't... Preppers don't want to talk about this. And I know I know some preppers say, well, I don't see color. Bullshit. Everybody sees color. And we all do have our preconceived biases. The question really is, do we recognize our self-perceived biases to overlook the bias in terms of what the reality is or may be? That's all. Something to think about as preppers and as patriots. Personally, I don't care. I don't, and I don't care what your sexual orientation is. If you can grab a weapon and you can go on patrol and you can stand to on guard duty and you got a, and you are educated, you got some kind of talent. I don't care. I can use you. You know there, and if Terry Cos is listening down in Missouri, Terry will tell you in the infantry. The infantry is, well, it comes right down here to the baseline. I know a lot of you guys out there were in the infantry. But you've heard this, so this is not going to be a shock. The rest of you, the infantry is basically, when it comes right down to the bottom line, they are professional bullet stoppers. And I don't care what color you are. I don't care what sexual orientation you are. I don't care what religion you are. You know, as Dr. King once said, he said, don't care about the color of your skin. I care, I care about the content of your character. Now, I'm ad-libbing the, the quote. But when it comes down to it, that's what he said. Don't care what you look like. I care about the content of your character. And after all, as preppers and patriots, isn't that kind of what we're looking for? The content of their character? Something to think about. So that's why when these uh, NFT paintings, this art, these artworks, these graphic artworks come up, and we're going to be selling them on OpenSea.io. That's what we're going to be doing. And you're going to see different races, different cultures. Because that's going to reflect the reality of a grid-down situation. If you think it's just going to be all white people, it isn't. 
And I got to tell you, you white people that live in the suburbs of the metropolitan areas, I got to tell you, I don't have a lot of faith in you. I mean, most of you went out and bought a, a shitload of toilet paper for a respiratory infection. So I don't have a lot of faith in you. Believe me, I don't. That's not to say some of you suburbanites actually have the mindset of a prepper and have been prepping and whatnot. I'm saying the vast majority of you don't have a fucking clue what you're doing. That's why you need to listen to this. You need to listen to my show, to Kirshner's show, to Prepping 2.0. you got to listen to them. We're not saying we know everything. What we're saying is we have, you know, one brain is good. Two is better, three is best, and three or more, you got a lock on it. You got the brain trust. We're not the brain trust. We're trying to be. But most of the people that you hear here doing, that are doing shows and have done shows for us here on CRN are preppers. We have done it. We've gone through it. We've got ideas. We've seen errors that we've made and ways to correct it. People, you listeners in the inner city, they're going to be survivors in a grid-down situation. Even when it comes to nuclear destruction, there will be survivors. They may not be the best shape physically or mentally, but there will be survivors. And they aren't going to look like us. They're going to be different nationalities, different cultures. And I'm not saying go out there and vote liberal and Democrat. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is, it, to be a good prepper, you need to understand and realize and accept that situation. That is going to be a reality. All right. Now, that's my commentary. Oh, where is it? Where is it? Get over here. There we go. What I want to talk to you about today. Okay. Couple, a uh, few episodes back. Look for it. I said, the Russians are telegraphing their punch. They are telegraphing their punch. And now they're telegraphing their follow-up swing. And I don't believe this administration has the wherewithal, the knowledge, or the guts to play poker with the Russians. I mean, they can play, they'll lose. They're not that good at it. Mainly because they don't have a foreign policy. At least none that I can discern. But, uh, and believe it or not, I, I, I almost threw up when I saw it. It's the New York Times that put this out. And they're issuing more threats far-reaching than a Ukraine invasion, my friends. And this is where it gets kind of sticky. Now, I'm not banging the gong, ringing the triangle, hitting the klaxons, saying, get ready. I'm saying, be aware. This is out of Vienna. Now, as you know, last week, no one expected much progress from the diplomatic marathon to defuse the security crisis Russia has ignited in Eastern Europe by surrounding Ukraine on three sides with 100,000 troops. And then by the White House's accounting, sending in saboteurs to create a pretext for invasion. Where have we seen that little playbook? Oh, yeah. 
Poland, 9, September 1939. But as the Biden administration and NATO conduct tabletop simulations about how the next few months could unfold, they are increasingly wary of another set of options for President Putin's steps that are more far-reaching than simply rolling his troops and armor over Ukraine's border. You see, Mr. Putin wants to extend Russia's fear of influence to Eastern Europe and secure written commitments that NATO will never again enlarge. If he is frustrated in reaching that goal, some of his aides suggested on the sidelines of the negotiations last week that he would pursue Russia's security interests with results that would be felt acutely in Europe and the United States. Boys and girls, the days of having, you know, two oceans on our border for security, those days are long, long, long gone. Now, there were hints, never quite spelled out, that nuclear weapons could be shifted to places perhaps not far from the United States coastline. That would reduce warning times after a launch to as little as five minutes. Potentially igniting a confrontation with echoes of the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. A hypothetical Russian invasion of Ukraine would not undermine the security of the United States, said Dmitry Soslov, an analyst in Moscow who gave a closed-door presentation on the standoff to Russian lawmakers last month. He says the overall logic of Russian actions is that the U.S. and NATO must pay a high price. And as Ukrainians were reminded on Friday, as the websites of the country's ministries were defaced in a somewhat amateurish attack, Russia's army of hackers can wreak havoc in Ukraine, but also uh, wreak havoc in the power grids from Munich to Michigan. It could all be bluster, part of a Kremlin campaign of intimidation and a way of reminding President Biden you know what? You can't remind President Biden because he barely remembers what the hell day it is. Somebody else has got to remind him. I'm sorry, I had to put that out there. That while he wants to focus American attention on competing and dealing with China, Mr. Putin is still capable of enormous disruption. Is it that far-fetched an idea that China and Russia could work in collusion against the United States? Now, the Russian leader telegraphed that approach himself by warning repeatedly in the past year that if the West crossed the ever-shifting red line that, in Mr. Putin's mind, threatens Russia's security, and we've talked about that on this show, he would order an unexpected response. He said Russia's response will be asymmetrical, fast, and tough. And that's what he said last April, referring to the kinds of unconventional military action that Russia could take if adversaries threatened our fundamental security interests. Now, the current crisis, which was touched off by the Kremlin's release of a series of demands that, if the U.S. and its allies agreed, would effectively restore Russia's sphere of influence close to the Soviet-era lines before NATO expanded into Eastern Europe. It has also demanded that all U.S. nuclear weapons be withdrawn from Europe, saying it felt threatened by their presence. Well, the types and locations of those weapons haven't changed in years. Hell, years, 
in decades. And it wants a stop to all Western troop rotations through the former Warsaw Pact states that have since joined NATO, hence Poland. Do you really think Poland's going to go back to communism? Are they, are you smoking the crack pipe? That's Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia. You think they're going to go back? Not a chance. So it has reinforced those demands, which the U.S. calls non-starters, with a troop buildup near Ukraine and repeated warnings that it was prepared to use unspecified military technical means to defend what it considers its legitimate security interest. In response, the Biden administration has issued warnings of financial and technological sanctions if the Kremlin should follow through with its threats, particularly in regard to Ukraine. American officials say that for all the talk about moving nuclear weapons or using asymmetrical attacks, so far the U.S. has seen little evidence. That doesn't mean it's not happening. At a White House briefing on Thursday, Jake Sullivan, Mr. Biden's national security advisor, declined to be drawn into the question of what kind of Russian action would trigger a U.S. response. Whether, for example, the U.S. would respond to a cyber attack the way it would an incursion into Ukrainian territory. Who the hell asked that stupid-ass question? The United States and our allies are prepared for any contingency, any eventuality, he said. You know, bullshit. If they're saying that, they're not. They're not. He said, we're prepared to keep moving forward down the diplomatic path in good faith. And let's hold hands, throw out our, our daisies, put on our rose-colored glasses, and bask in the warmth of diplomacy, which normally fails anyways. Uh, anyways, he says that we're prepared to respond to fresh acts. And beyond that, all we can do is get ready. And we are ready. Of course, the most obvious scenario, given the scale of troop movements on the ground, is a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Maybe not to take over the entire country, but to send troops into the breakaway regions around the city of Donetsk and Luhansk. Or troll all the way down to the Dnieper River. At the Pentagon, five or six different options for the extent of a Russian invasion are being examined. One senior official reported. Let me ask you something. Do you think we're going to put the American boots on the ground in, for Ukraine, in Ukraine, any more than we would for Taiwan? So researchers tracking social media footage have spotted numerous signs of additional Russian military equipment being shipped westward by train from Siberia. In Russia, state television has been filled with commentators warning that Ukraine could soon attack Russian-backed separatists in eastern Ukraine, fitting with Washington's allegation that Russian operatives with specialties in explosive and urban warfare have infiltrated Ukraine and might be planning to stage a provocation to justify an invasion. Now, Russia has denied the allegation. Again, where have we seen this play before? We've seen this play September 1939, Poland. Now, Yevgeny Buzhensky, a retired lieutenant general and regular Russian television commentator, predicted a looming limited war provoked by Ukraine that Russia would win in short order through devastating airstrikes. He says, 
There will be no columns of tanks, General Brzezinski said in a phone interview. They'll just destroy all the Ukrainian infrastructure from the air. Just like you do it. In Geneva, Russian diplomats insisted there are no plans to invade Ukraine. Where have we seen that play before? Oh yeah, the United Nations, October 1962. We've, but there were hints of other steps. And one little, little noticed remark a senior Russian diplomat said Moscow was prepared to place unspecified weapon systems in unspecified places. That merged with American intelligence assessments that Russia could be considering new nuclear deployments, perhaps tactical nuclear weapons, or a powerful emerging arsenal of hypersonic missiles. The Chinese have a hypersonic missile. You want to bet the Russians do too? I don't think the United, I think the United States might, might be working on it. But are, are developing one, and I don't know that anything is actually in production yet. But anyways, hypersonic missiles. Now, in November, Putin himself suggested that Russia could deploy submarine-based hypersonic missiles within close striking distance of Washington. He has said repeatedly that the prospect of Western military expansion in Ukraine poses an unacceptable risk because it could be used to launch a nuclear strike against Moscow with just a few minutes warning. Russia, he made clear, could do the same. So from the beginning of the year, we will have our arsenal, a new sea-based missile, a hypersonic one, Mr. Putin said, referring to a weapon that travels at more than five times the speed of sound and could likely evade existing missile defenses. Don't forget, the ABM Treaty of the 1970, I think it was 73, or 74, has expired. And so now look, the Russians are great believers in legalistic stuff like treaties. So as soon as that treaty expired, they started working right away, researching and going to it. And I'm sure they were doing it under the table anyways. You know, it's kind of like, we don't have any missiles, really? No, ne neither do we. Oh, yeah? We don't have any missiles either. We're not working on anything. Yeah, right. Okay, Give kiss my ass. All right, anyways. So, in an apparent reference to the American capital, he added, the flight time to reach those who give the orders will also be five minutes. They're telegraphing what they are going to do. They are telegraphing their, their follow-up swing. So Putin said he would deploy such missiles only in response to Western moves. And President Biden told Mr. Putin in their last conversation that the United States has no plans to place offensive strike systems in Ukraine. I believe it. Why? You don't need to. You want offensive strike systems? Most of them are in Germany. The advanced ones, if I, if I remember right. Now, Russian officials hinted again in recent days about new missile deployments, and American officials repeated they have seen no moves in that direction. But any effort to place weapons close to American cities would create conditions similar to the 1962 crisis that was closest the world ever came to a nuclear exchange. Where is General LeMay when we need him now? The only reason that the Russians backed down was because of Bobby Kennedy's idea, a legalistic move. And it worked. It won't work again. Asked about the nature of what Putin has termed a possible military technical response, Sergei 
uh, Ryabakov, a deputy foreign minister, said, said in Geneva on Monday, right now there was no reason to talk about what systems we deployed and what quantity and where exactly. Well, hell, we wouldn't do it either. Well, it's not true. We've got people in Congress who can't keep their mouth shut worth a shit. And when a Russian reporter asked Rybakov in an interview uh, broadcast on Thursday whether Russia was considering deploying military infrastructure to Venezuela or Cuba, he responded, I don't want to confirm anything or rule anything out. Moving missiles, however, is obvious to the world. And this is why if the conflict escalates further, American officials believe Putin could be drawn to cyber attacks. Easy to deny, suburbly tailored for disruption, and amenable to being ramped up or down depending on the political temperature. Putin doesn't need to do much to insert computer code or malware into American infrastructure. Homeland Security has long warned that the Russians have already placed malware inside many American power grids. I believe that. This is the first time they actually put it out there. Did you see that? Did you hear that? It's the first one that I've heard it. So the Biden administration has sought to shore up U.S. systems and root out the malware. The nation's biggest utilities run an elaborate war game every two years simulating such an attack. But much of corporate America remains far less protected. The fear is that if sanctions were imposed on Moscow, Putin's response could be to accelerate the kind of Russian-based ransomware attacks that hit Colonial Pipeline, a major beef producer in cities and towns across the country last year. The FSB, Federal Security Bureau, Russia's powerful security service, the FSB used to be called the KGB, the Committee for State Security, uh, announced the arrest of hackers tied to the uh, Revel ransomware group, a gang connected to some of the most damaging attacks against American targets, including Colonial Pipeline. The move was welcomed by the White House, but it was also a signal that Moscow could flip its cyber warriors on or off at will. No one knows Putin's next move, of course, even not his own diplomats. And he likes it that way. Remember, Putin came up in the Soviet system. He was part of the KGB. Think he forgot everything he was taught and learned? No. There could be all sorts of responses, Putin said when asked last month about the military technical response he warned about. The Russian leadership is rather inventive, said Andrei Kortunov, Director General of the Russian International Affairs Council, a research organization close to the Russian government. It's not necessarily only about Ukraine. So there you have so there you go. Huh. There it's out there, guys. Now, while we're at, while we're dealing with it. For you preppers out there, uh, Essential Prepping brought this out. Seven bad survival strategies, survival strategies, which will get you killed. Now, a lot of preppers and survivalists spend time preparing or thinking about what to do when the shit hits the fan. The good news is that fantastic guidance is available online. But there's also a lot of incorrect advice out there. Some of this terrible advice may kill you. Try to avoid using any of these awful survival tactics. Number one, bug out when the shit hits the fan. This advice is so prevalent, there are entire websites and communities dedicated to it. While there are rare instances where you may need to bug out, it is generally a bad idea. Bugging out is not like camping or hiking. After a few days, 
your bug out bag survival supplies will be gone and you won't be going home. How will you get food? Eating bugs is a possibility, but it isn't the glamorous existence you imagined when you read Bugging Out. For added security, always go to a location you know well. Bugging out means leaving your comfortable surroundings and all the benefits that come with it. It is safer to make a survival strategy with your neighbors in a catastrophe event than to run into the unknowns. Still, you should have a bug out bag ready. And I, you just don't use it until you really have to. Number two, food hunt. Now, as a survivalist, you should like learning new outdoor hunting tactics, but after trying several of them, we know that food searching isn't simple. It'll be considerably harder in a survival situation, and we've talked about this here. Now, you might be able to hunt a deer now, but imagine disaster scenario where there is no food left and people have fled into the wilderness. A lot of other people have gotten the same idea as you, and soon there will be even less food to hunt. Remember I told you, during the Great Depression, we don't know what percentage of the animal population was reduced. The idea is that, the best educated guess is that many species were brought to the edge of extinction because they had to eat. See, here on planet Earth, we have to kill things in order to eat. Yes, when, yes, you vegetarians out there, when you eat your carrot or your grass clippings or whatever, you have killed a plant. So yes, that is the way life works on our planet. We have to kill things to eat it. Now, for some of you out there, you may not want to kill it. You can eat it live. I don't care. Good luck to you on that. And then number three, the solo bug out. Now, people, you don't want to be the only person on the mountain calling out on the mountaintop. So let's talk about a solo bug out. Because the, our culture idolizes the, the lone wolf and several benefits to bugging out alone, such as independence, speed, lack of detection. But there are many more drawbacks. And among the obvious drawbacks of bugging out are being alone while sick or injured, you must carry all gear. More can be carried if shared among several persons. You must do everything. There'll be no one to keep an eye on you. For example, who's going to stand guard while you're sleeping? Oh, you will have to sleep. Remember that humans are social beings who thrive in groups. We make better judgments when we can discuss them. We gain mental strength by sharing our feelings and doubts with others. We can pool our resources. So while we like the isolation of a three-day wilderness walk, let's be honest, we know we cannot live alone. In a survival crisis, I wouldn't bug out alone. Four, stockpile weapons and guns. Fantastic advice if you know how to use weapons. Having lots of firearms won't help you until you practice using them. Why do you need dozens or even hundreds of guns? You can only use one weapon at a time effectively. There's a handful, a very, 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 very small percentage of people who can operate two firearms at the same time with any sense of precision and accuracy. Yes, you can envision huge combat where you don't have time to reload. Therefore, you have all your guns surrounding you. 
But let us think logically. Guns are hefty. How will you move all of your weapons if a shootout breaks out? Maybe you want to start a survival society after the survival hits the fan. Thus, you need spare firearms. But giving guns to inexperienced individuals is a flawed idea. Number five, I'm going to hide supplies from my neighbor. I already talked to my neighbors. They know who I am. And I've made my arguments to them. Guess what? They're stockpiling food, too. They're getting weapons, too. Now, on the surface, it sounds great. So whose door do you think they'll come knocking on if they know you're collecting food, water, and other crisis supplies? Creating a catastrophe plan with your neighbors. Then you may combine your resources and prepare your neighbors. And I mean, are you going to send them away? For example, one neighbor may have a beautiful garden, while another may be a doctor. Something to think about. How about number six? Wounds suture. If you have not practiced this, you need to do it. You can use paracord strands to stitch wounds in a survival situation. <laughs> yeah, all right. And you could, you know, you could stitch wounds with these threads, but don't. Only a doctor should stitch wounds. If you use do-it-yourself sutures, the patient will likely get sepsis and die. Instead, stock up on butterfly bandages or skin adhesive. Now, some time ago, when I first started doing this, um, I met with others. We got an orange and we got a chicken. And we bought sutures online. And we had a, med a Navy medical corpsman. Been doing it his entire career. And guess what? He taught us how to stitch wounds. How to do it properly. How to do it right. Number seven. You must plan. Well, that's not enough. To survive a crisis, you must practice your strategy. Here are some methods to practice your plan. Do communication drills. Practice your bug out strategy. Take a CPR class. You should take a basic trauma, uh, trauma first aid class. You should plan to visit your bug out location. Live off the land. Make a fire under various weather situations. Make a survival shelter. Exercise in the woods, uh, you know, are you as fit as you thought? There's a difference between uh, being, you know, what I want to say, uh, gym fit and being prepper fit. Practice hunting and gathering food. Practice living without electrical power. So, there, no. Oh, before I forget, my friends, um, I have returned to social media. I will not go to Facebook. I will not do TikTok. I will not do anything like that. You will find me on gab.com, getter.com, codius, and usa.life. You will find me there. Which, by the way, as we'll be posting links to our uh, NFT artworks, which I think you guys will like. They're pretty cool. They are not cartoonish. That was one of the things that Dave uh, and I talked about, is that we didn't want things to be cartoonish. We wanted it to be very good looking. So, yeah. 
And now for the preppers, let's finish this up with essential prepping. This is a fun one. The six types of people who will die first when the shit hits the fan. Well, right now, I know a bunch of you are making a list in your mind. Well, I want this. This person's a jackass. He needs to die. Oh, the ex-spouse? Yeah, we'll put them on the list. And all the other people who've wronged you in life. Screw them. Let's be honest about it. We're all not going to survive a catastrophe or a grid-down situation. I don't care if you're a prepper or not. But we don't like to think we'd survive the calamity. So those of us who consider catastrophe preparedness feel we'd survive. The rest deny that a calamity might affect them. There's been a lot written and discussed who will die first when the grid goes down. Most target the weak, handicapped, elderly, and yuppies. Or hipsters. Yeah, hipsters. But I won't dwell on those flaws. We've got other things to talk about. Though I'm certain that everyone can withstand a crisis if they plan ahead. Some preppers, including those with impairments for young children, will need to plan and prepare more. But it is doable. It is. Sadly, many preppers are going to perish. They won't perish because they purchased the incorrect bug-out location or hoarded the wrong things, toilet paper. They will perish due to personality flaws. So see whether you fit into any of these personality types. If so, it's time to ditch the gear and emergency plots, emergency supplies and focus on mental toughness. My friends, one of the things that they taught us in the police academy, and this was back in the 1980s when I went, is you have to make a decision. And with leadership, you know, with any leader, you can't be indecisive. If you're indecisive, that shows your weakness. I would rather have a leader who makes a decision and it goes wrong than sit there and have a leader who can't make a decision. At least you tried something, anything. But doing nothing is not an option. So I, I don't know what to do. I, I can't decide. That's not an option. And that same type when it comes down to your street survival. You've got to make a decision. It might be the wrong decision, but it's a decision. So number one, the indecisive. Now, some of these people say the secret to surviving a calamity is to get out as soon as possible. I don't think so. It depends on what that calamity is. Now, depending on where you are, will decide whether you need to get out or you can hang in there and wait and see what happens. If you live in the inner city, it might be a good idea to get the hell out. But this is why we prepare bug up beds and practice emergency exercises. But leaving isn't an easy option. Nobody likes to feel overreacting. No one wants to. But when faced with danger, our emotions might get the best of us. If you are indecisive, and you know who you are, Develop a checklist of requirements for staying or leaving so you can act quickly instead of waiting too long to go or going sooner than you need to. 
the emotional. This one makes me cry because I can identify. Now, there are people out there, they adore their neighborhood. And even if you knew a tragedy was coming, you would not go. But you also know we must set emotion aside and act rationally and intellectually in the face of tragedy. I have told you this many times before. If you knew people, I'm going to redo it. When your emotions are high, your reasoning and intellect level is low. The inverse of this is true, and it's constantly fluctuating, constantly up and down. So if your emotions are low, your rational and intellectual is high. Emotions are high, your intellectual reasoning is low. Don't be a liberal and react and do things based on how you feel, on what your emotions are. If you do, you are going to get yourself killed. Matter of time. Now, surviving such mortality is probably more challenging than we think. Now, despite an evacuation order, several residents will opt to stay, and, and some of them many did during Hurricane Katrina. Even those who could have left just didn't have the heart. Now, that brings to mind the 83-year-old man who perished in the Mount St. Helens blast because he refused to leave his home. Before he died from the bomb, he, he informed reporters, I'm going to stay right here because I'll tell you why. My home and my... Eh, and my expletive life's here. My wife and I, we both vowed years and years ago that we'd never leave Spirit Lake. We loved it. It's a part of me, and I'm part of that effing mountain. <clears throat> I understand Truman. His wife and daughter died. Other than his house, he presumably felt worth living for. Truman had no other relatives that we know of. Thus, his decision to stay rather than escape had no impact. He was 83 and possibly near the end of his life and didn't want to start anew. But we have family that rely on us, that care about us. And hopefully we have a long life ahead of us. So I owe it to them and to myself to let go of the house and get the hell out of there if you must. And then we have the macho. You know what I'm talking about. You preppers and survivalists are macho. Contrast machismo with the positive personality traits of self-reliance and family protection. Machoism is aggressive, proud, and aggressive. It is ego that will prevent survival. The lone wolf mindset is shown by macho preppers. They think they can do it all by themselves and, re and refuse aid when it is needed. Macho preppers brag, which attracts attention and makes them targets. I have a gun, macho preppers say. I'll take it. And you'll probably die. <coughs> Consider how many preppers talk about standing their ground if their home is attacked. You'll often be outnumbered. No supplies for macho folks. No, no, no. Consider this comment on the gun hiding post. If it's time to hide them, utilize them. No successful revolution has ever been led by a lone gunman. People who laid low and waited for the right opportunity to emerge triumphed and lived. And then you have the boring. Knowing how to build a fire, purify water, or cure, or cure wounds are the ultimate survival skill. Survival requires ingenuity. Creative individuals see an abandoned Coke can as a stove and the tab as a fishing hook. 
They will convert a crayon into a candle or a plastic bottle into a rope. Creativity is a skill that can be learned. Not true. Some folks are just inherently more imaginative. But there are specific exercises to promote creativity. Yeah, they're kind of, you know, but they work. Then you have the panicky. In a crisis, 10% panic while 80% freeze, which is basically a severe form of panic when you freeze. That's being indecisive. Only 10% of individuals respond and act, and you have to train yourself to do it. Surviving a tragedy requires calmness. Preppers are less prone to panic than the general population since they know the hazards and have prepared for disasters. But don't think you're Superman and won't panic in a shit-hits-the-fan situation. Keeping calm is a talent to learn. I suggest you attempt mental toughness exercises. Now, the, the organic prepper used this word in a post about how to die when the shit hits the fan. Fantasy planners are preppers who believe they can survive the apocalypse by hunting, farming, and foraging. Fantasy planning overlooks reality, like the fact that you've never done any of this. You're out of shape and can't foresee anything. So what's the answer? Real world drills. Try camping with only the stuff in your bug out bag. You won't be able to live a lifetime under shit hits the fan situations if you can't survive three days. But you will learn how to prepare better to survive. One of the exercises that we used to do with my prepper group, which is long gone, the 11th, uh, <laughs> the 11th American prepping group, we used to do a thing. And we do it on a spur of the moment, and we wouldn't do it at every meeting. Every once in a while, we'd say, okay, everybody empty their pockets on the table in front of you. And then we say, okay, look at what's in your pockets. Can you survive with what's here? What can you do with these things? It's not to, it's not to make someone feel bad. It's not to critique them and, and, and shame them. It's to get them into the mindset to carry certain items all the time. It might be a pocket knife. It might be a boot knife, by the way. Boot knife. I have a story about this in a second. It might be, you know, a roll of floss. I mean, it's little things like that. It could be a coubaton. Defensive weapon. Oh, back in the 80s and 90s, uh, I was with the sheriff's office. Um, we had a, a copper from South Africa come over. And he was on some kind of, I can't, I can't remember, it was so long ago, I can barely remember what this, why he was over here. But he was on tour talking to different police police departments in the area, in the region. And uh, he, one of the things he said, he said, you know what, I noticed that some of you American police officers carry folding knives. He says, in South Africa, we don't carry folding knives. We carry uh, you know, knives, one piece, tang you know, handle blade. And he said, the reason being is that you never know about the hinges on a folding knife are going to give out. He says, I don't know what the fascination is with the American police and folding knives. He says, I just don't get it. And, I, and for some reason, his court may have always remembered it. 
Do I have a pocket knife? Yes, I have a small pocket knife. I do. I even have, here, I even have it in my pocket right now. It's not big, but it does the job. You know, this is from Cutco. Very sharp. Anything goes wrong with it, I send it right back to the factory in uh, Glencoe, Illinois. They replace it. But just is do I carry? Yeah, I carry it in my pocket. All right. There you go. That that's the story for that. All right. Now, oh, I want to thank again uh, you people around the globe, especially Western Europe. I'll tell you, you guys are listening in a lot, and you should. I don't know what they're what your government's telling you that's going on. I don't know. But one thing I did notice um, in that, in when it came, when it comes to COVID, God, you know, I'm glad they brought it up. It's high time that, and I think I think maybe they're starting to get the idea. The federal government has got to start learning and and telling people we are going to live with COVID nineteen for the rest of our lives forever. It's like the flu. Influenza is here. It will never go away. We'll always have it. We've learned to live with it. We learned to live with Zika. We learned to live with the bird flu. We live to live with SARS. So yeah, guess what? We're going to have to learn to live with COVID. As time goes on, science will get a better handle on vaccines, uh, preventive measures for COVID, pills, all that stuff. I saw that somebody, well, believe it or not, some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. actually had, had the idea and then had the actual guts to sit there and say it out loud. We should start preparing the people to live with it forever. So, now what that means, I don't know. I'm just telling you. Also, one thing I've noticed since I, oh God, since I, since I returned to social media, there's a cup. There's where, where is he? He's usually on Codius. I don't want to say his name. I'm not here to embarrass him. But when you go on your social media and you post stuff about COVID and about the vaccines. Generally speaking, the people that follow you and the people you follow, guess what? We've heard it all. You're preaching to the choir. Move on to something more, you know, productive, more value. That doesn't say, look, I get it. Some of you don't want to get the vaccine. Let me ask you something. I know, and I, I'm not calling them anti-vaxxers because that just isn't the isn't the reason why people don't want to get the vaccine. Majority of them say it's the principle of the matter. And the principle is the government said you have to do it or you can't participate in society. And they're actually moving that direction. But more importantly is this. Let me ask you something. If you haven't been vaccinated or you don't want to get the vaccination, would it have made a difference to you if the government came out and said, look, this is, these are the vaccines we have. We recommend you get them. We think you should get them. Instead of doing the mandates, mandates, mandates. Would that have changed some of your minds? I'm just curious. I'm putting it out there. Something to think about. All right. So if you're on social media, Please stop posting the same stupid crap about COVID and about the vaccines. We know where you are. You are preaching to the choir. We don't need to see 25 posts 
about why the vaccines are bad. Look, we get it. You don't like it. Okay, great. That's fine. That's for you. I've never said, I've never advocated that people should get the vaccine. I've always said it's up to you. But if you get the, you know, if it doesn't work for you and you end up getting it, oh, well, you get it. You know, you got no one to blame but yourself. I believe that then and I believe it now. All right. So let me, so let me get this. Uh, maybe I wasn't too clear. You know, going back to the, our NFT art that we're going to be selling on the blockchain. Blockchain, that's where it's at. That's the future of Web 3. We're at Web 2, 2.5 now. Web 3 is going to change everything because it's going to be going more to uh, the blockchain as opposed to, you know, uh, servers that are controlled by, say, Amazon and big tech. All right. That's why big tech doesn't like it, doesn't like blockchain. The whole idea of blockchain is decentralization. So there. But so as we, there'll be different pieces of art. And, and those different pieces of art that we're putting together, a small percentage will be what we call a rarity. And a rarity would be, there's an object in the painting that the vast majority of the other paintings or drawings or graphics don't have. And that's what makes it a rarity. So we'll be having that. If I suggest, and I said, we'll be giving links, I'll be putting the links out on the, uh, on the, our website, which is network.com And we put it out there on uh, Getter. Codius, USA.Live, and Gab of those social medias. Mainly because, um, yeah. And you're going to find it under the words, the this dystopian world. Dave, Dave Kirshner came up with that. So we like that. So you'll see it, dystopian world. Those are the words. That's where the art collection will be filed under. So when you start to, in fact, when you start to see um, what we've got, I think you'll be going, oh, that's pretty cool. I want that. Please, by all means. Um, but we want you to know. All right, my friends. Oh, where are we now? Oh, we've been an hour into it. All right. I'm John Jeffers here at the Jeffers Brief. Thank you again for watching me. Tell your friends, tell your friends, tell your family. Look, your family, forget the family. The family doesn't believe in your prepping. They don't, they think you're nuts. You have no credibility with them. I'm telling you that now. Hell, maybe your own spouse doesn't believe in it. Mine was that way. Well, she's come around. She's a smart woman. She's a smart woman. She came around and now she's a believer in it. And that's the way I want to keep it. So by all means. If your spouse isn't a believer, you got your work cut out for you. It can be done. You just got to do it the right way. And we've talked about that. Please go back in the archives. You'll see it. We talk about it. So until then, have an American day. Have an American day. If you don't live in the United States, have an American day anyways. Someday you might be here in this country. So until then, I'm John Jeffers. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.